you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Andy Storch Show. I am your host, Andy Storch. And of course, this is a show where we can come together to starve our fears, follow our dreams, and achieve our true potential. And there are so many areas of life where we have the opportunity to grow and improve. And I know that all of us are individuals with different strengths and weaknesses, things that we have experience with that we're good at, that we excel in, things that we're not so good at and that we get frustrated with and that we need help with. And oftentimes we think we need to figure those things out on our own, but I'm here to tell you that it is okay to ask for help. It's important to ask for help. And that's why we listen to podcasts like these. And I listen to other podcasts and read books and join mastermind groups and hire coaches and trainers and things like that. And I'm sure that you do some of the same things or have thought about it. And I don't know where you are excelling and where are you struggling in life, but I can tell you that one of the most important aspects of life that we all need to pay attention to is our health. Because no matter whether you are a man or a woman, old or young, experienced, you're in corporate or you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. We all have bodies that we need to nurture and we need to take care of because we want to be around as long as possible so we can achieve as much as possible and live a happy and fulfilled life and not spend our lives going to hospitals and doctor's offices. And granted, We all have different things that we're dealt, different cards we're dealt, genetic issues, health things, different paths. And I'm not condemning any of that. I'm not judging anyone here. But I know that we all probably share a common goal of being as healthy as possible. And that I know many people struggle with how to do that, especially if you're an ambitious, busy person. You've got a lot of stuff going on with work and family. And it's hard to pay attention to the things that you need to pay attention to. Or really, you just don't know what to do. So today I have a great guest for you on that note. His name is Alex Van Houten, and he is the owner and founder of a company and movement called Defining Dad Bod. And Alex comes from a background where he had a genetic disorder that he had to come over, which made him extremely prone to injury. And so he decided that he wanted to become a doctor and then actually got into personal training instead because he realized that he had an opportunity to work with people to help them prevent some of the things that would end up sending them to the hospital or the doctor and even help them do the things to get healthy without the use of, say, pharmaceuticals or surgery or some of the traditional medicine routes. Uh, Now, Alex, uh, his podcast focuses on dads and it's called Defining Dad Bod, but he works with women as well. And in this interview today, we're going to talk about not only his background and what qualifies him to do what he's doing today and how he ended up uh, leaving his career and going out on his own, getting past the fear to do that. Um, But we talk a lot about the key things that people need to be thinking about to live a healthier life. Now in there, we also talk about the difference between women and men, especially as they go through pregnancy and childbirth, and actually what happens to men when they become new fathers, which is something you don't hear very much about, right? You hear a lot about women's bodies and what happens to them, and no doubt 
they go through 99% of what happens when childbirth happens because they're physically giving birth to the child. But, you know, as a father myself, I can tell you that a lot of changes happen. And Alex talks about the physiological and the biological changes that happen to men when they have babies. And we talk about some of the ways to enhance or combat some of those things. And then we just get into general health advice, like reducing sugar and increasing fiber intake, staying active and uh, tips for you to live a healthier, happier life in 2019. I hope this one is useful for you. I left feeling so excited and more educated and uh, wanting to find out more. So I may have to have Alex back on again. If you listen to this and you have questions, send them to me, send them to Alex. You can go find him at uh, definingdadbod.com and follow or listen to his podcast called Defining Dad Bod as well. So without further ado, I'll give you my interview with Alex Van Houten. Today, I have Alex Van Houten, the host and founder of Defining Dad Bod on the podcast, and I am excited. Alex, welcome to The Andy Storch Show. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, it is, uh, it's really great to have you on, uh, not just because we are friends and uh, I know you have a lot of awesome stuff to share, but this has also been a long time coming. We have, I think, rescheduled this like 15 times. We've run into like every bit of bad luck, including my Wi-Fi router went out and then yours went out and then traveling and trips coming up and then, you know, doctor appointments and all kinds of things. And the first time we recorded for me to come on your podcast, we had to do early on a Saturday morning. I think it was 6 a.m. or something Mm -hmm. like that. And now as we record this today, it's 7 a.m. where I am in Palo Alto, California, and I'm in a hotel room. And uh, this actually in, you know, surprisingly in uh recording podcasts for about two years now and traveling pretty regularly. I think this is the first time I've recorded a podcast interview in a hotel room. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, I feel special. Thanks for hosting me. And anything worth doing is worth working hard at. So I'm excited to chat with you today. I agree. And I, you know, some people will get into this. Some people might say, oh, I don't know. It's out, outside of my comfort zone. It's out of, you know, out of my control. Maybe I won't do it. But you know, why not give it a shot? And uh, also want to say that, you know, fittingly, I just got back from the gym, the hotel gym. Uh, I had to make sure I got a workout in this morning before I talked to you. Otherwise, I would like feel guilty or something as we get it. It'd be an hour of conviction. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And by the way, speaking of no excuses, you know, I've been traveling for regularly for eight years now. This today at this hotel in Palo Alto is the closest I've ever been to the hotel gym is literally right across the hall from my room. So there is no excuse. It's like 10 feet away from my hotel room. Like I should be in there two times a day at least. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's get into it, Alex, because uh, I know a lot of my listeners may not be familiar with you and your story. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'll give you the 10,000 foot view to make it easy on on everybody. I have uh, been a personal trainer for 13 years and I started in the industry because I had rehabbed myself quite a bit through uh, dislocated ankles and shoulders and hips later to find out that it was a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos that I was battling. Uh, But with that knowledge, a lot of people came to me for exercise advice and then eventually nutrition and lifestyle. And so uh, there was a point in my life where the decision became, do I go to med school as I wanted to study to be an orthopedic surgeon? And I spent some time in the hospitals with those doctors and, and those patients to find that the people in my personal training practice were excited to show up every day. They wanted 
help with changing their lives. They were ready to move forward and they wanted to do things before they ended up on the surgeon's table. And uh, on the other side of things, I found that doctors were pulled in a lot of different directions with regard to insurance companies and patients really didn't want to be there. The thing that gets you on the surgeon's table doesn't change just because you had surgery. And so I decided to stay with uh, personal training. And so I've gotten to train with large corporations. I've gotten to work with people eight years old all the way up to 85 and help people with obesity, help people get out of wheelchairs. And it's been an awesome journey. And so right now, my work with Defining DadBot comes out of my son being born. And for that being the first time that I'd ever really struggled with my own body composition, I'm like, what, what's going on here? What's wrong with me? I'm stopping on the way home from work, grabbing a Pop-Tart. You know, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't crave bourbon nightly. Like, what's wrong with me? And so when I actually dove into the research, there happens to be an enormous amount of change that goes on in a man's body when his first child is born. And that's the biological basis for dad bod. Truthfully, Andy, it completely blew my mind. And so I learned it as deep as I could with my experience in exercise, physiology, nutrition, and uh, lifestyle change with regard to psychology. And now that's what I do is I help dads define their dad bod and free themselves from those biological forces that seem to be working against healthy, powerful, strong fathers. Wow, that is so cool and, and such a great mission. And uh, I have a couple questions coming yeah. off of that. You know, first of all, you said you were considering medical school and mm. you were looking at the results you were getting in your personal training practice and how you got to help people sort of on the beginning or as they're moving into things and looking for ways to prevent themselves from ending up in surgery or taking a lot of pharmaceuticals or things that you and I, I know, agree are really bad and things that we want to avoid in life. Absolutely. That's still a tough choice, though, because mm. there's, you know, ostensibly a lot more money to be made in medicine, right? Because people are willing to pay a lot more money for uh, pain relief than they are for vitamins to, to simplify it, right? So when you look at people looking at preventative care thinking, oh, I really should eat healthier, I really should go to the gym, and I really should get in shape, but you know what, I'll start that tomorrow and never do it. And then 25 years down the road, they're seeing a doctor they're paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for pharmaceuticals or surgery or whatever it is. And at that point, they have to fork it over. So I guess I just want to ask, like, is that frustrating for you? Because you know that so many of these things can be prevented and you went to the, the sort of the good side, but still <laughs> more of the money is on the back end where people just at the end have no choice. Yeah, we have the blue lightsabers over here. That's for sure. Uh, no, <laughs> hey, when you have strep throat or you break a bone, you're really happy that the medical system is yep. where it is. However, there are so many things from a health and fitness standpoint that we can prevent many, many forms of complications regarding diabetes, many forms of complications regarding cardiovascular disease, thyroid dysfunction, even most hormone replacement therapies. There are a lot of different things that we can do in our own life to take ownership before they become a problem. But to the, your question, yes, it can be very frustrating on this side of the fence, so to speak, when working with people, because I would say that uh, the frustration turns into a mission. But in my younger years as a trainer, you, you feel kind of like pulling your hair out, you know, especially when you tell somebody something like a, a close family member, for instance, you tell somebody something about what they should be doing to change themselves. And you're like, oh, I don't, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I, I went to the doctor and they said this, and now I have to take these pills. And you're like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? 
I told you what to do. It's relatively simple what you need to do. You need to cut out sugar. You need to sleep better. I need to get your butt on the bike at least three days a week. Like it's not that hard. And then three years down the road, that same person has a heart attack, has to go in for quadruple bypass surgery. And then they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to the gym and I'm, I'm cutting out. So it's, it's almost like some people need just that, that brutal, wake up call. Right? Yeah. That brutal, like 10 pounds of bricks in the face before they finally decide to take ownership of themselves and their lives. On the flip side of that, Andy, what's really nice is when I do work with people, I'm working with the people who have already either had the 10 pounds of bricks in their face, and that's why they've decided to work with me, or they're so proactive and so conscientious about the futures that they want to build for themselves and their families that it's no longer a question of frustration anymore. It's, I know what I want, I know what I need, and I need a professional to help me get from point A to point B without spinning my wheels. And so that, I guess, internal drive to make that decision, I get to work with those people. And and those are my people, man. Those are the people who, like, you want to high five, you're so excited that there are people like that in the world who are taking that kind of ownership of themselves and their health. And, uh, you know, we need more people like that. Definitely. So what you're talking about are the people that have maybe gone too far and they've had that wake up call and they they're feeling that pain, but they're choosing to go the quote non-traditional route, if you will, which should be the traditional route of eating healthier, getting in better shape and using that the holistic method to get healthier versus just going down the route, route of pharmaceuticals and what is traditional medicine these days. So that's the primary person that you're working with. Yes, I I would say that uh, to steal Jesus's verbiage, because he's always a good guy to quote, uh, I'm working with the people who have chosen to walk the narrow way, so to speak, and they just need some help finding that path. Well, and you're also teaching them to fish, right? Rather than just uh, stuffing the pharmaceutical fish down their mouth, down their throats. You, you got it. Maybe some fish oil. I might shove some fish oil down your throat. But. <laughs> right. So I want to go back. You said you got into personal training and um, you were working as a personal trainer. Were you working for a company or a gym or were you working on your own? Because I know you're on your own now. And mm. I want to hear that story because I know that that can be quite a big leap. I've done it on my own. I talked to a lot of people about that. I have a history of interviewing people on entrepreneurship. And I know that as much as people talk or love the idea of being on their own and being their own boss, it's freaking scary to get out there and do that. So tell me that story. Yeah. You know, my first years of experience as a personal trainer, it was more of a side hustle than anything. I was going to college. It's what paid my bills, so to speak, through the time that I was also learning and going to school for the chemical engineering and psychology pre-med to prepare me for orthopedic surgery. Once I decided that I was going to be a personal trainer full-time, I did work for a larger corporation. So I connected with a company called Lifetime Fitness, which is a U.S. national brand that They do luxury gyms. They're actually a real estate business. You wouldn't know that when you think about a gym, but they're actually classified as a real estate company, not a uh, health and fitness company. And I worked under their roof for about eight years. And so I managed their personal training staffs. I did education nationwide for them. And I also worked one-on-one with clients. And so we parted ways at the very beginning of uh, last year. I guess it's 2019 now. Wow. Happy New Year. (laughs) The very beginning of, of 2018, I took the leap and it went into business for myself. And I say it took the leap. Lifetime really took the, uh, I guess the onus off of me in the sense that this is something that I wanted to do for a while and I was gearing up to do. And then, you know, we were at loggerheads. There was a point at which we we really didn't see eye to eye on that thing and ultimately decided to part ways from a business perspective. And so 
I was laid off in that exchange. And then I was, it was either like, do I go to work for somebody or do I go into business for myself? No time like the present, man. Let's, <laughs> everything's in place. Let's do this thing. So yeah, they, I, they I went into it, business. They almost made it easy for you, made the decision easy for you by saying, hey, here, we're laying you off and you're going to go give this a shot. But still, I think you had your son at the time. So you had one child and I imagine you were the primary breadwinner in your house or at least um, equal there. Yeah. yeah. So that's a scary thing to then go out on your own when you know you've got to put food on the table for your family. It was very sink or swim. You know, it was, it was like, I came home, I told my wife about it. She cried, you know, my wife's very supportive, but it was, it was kind of like the, what are we going to do? I'm a little right. scared. And, right. and, you know, we had been doing the build up the savings thing to be ready for some sort of emergency, but it was still kind of like, we don't want to dip into that. And I, I said, babe, look, give me 90 days, give me 90 days to show you that I can make sure our monthly income is what's needed in order to pay our bills and whatnot. Give me 90 days to break even. And then if I haven't done it by 90 days, then we'll start looking into other options and stuff at the end of that point. So uh, she gave me 90 days and I hit it hard, dude. I hit it hard. <laughs> yeah. And now it's been a year. So you it's it's been a year. I mean, we're past breaking even. We're looking at uh, hiring our first employee for the company, actually. So I'm pretty excited about that. And it's been a journey. Yeah, that's so cool. And congratulations on making that work. And uh, I can relate. My wife is very supportive, but also has a much bigger security gland than I do, like I like to say. So worries a little bit more about those things where I'm like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> all that shit next to nonchalant. I definitely get stressed the one thing that stresses me out the most in life probably is is financial security, making sure we have enough money, which is odd because I tend to, uh, I don't know, walk a fine line sometimes with how much we have in the bank. Uh, it's it's, it's a to. weird feeling, you know, because if you let yourself get too stressed, then you can't focus your energies on the things that are going to turn over a profit for you and in, in your new business. And so yeah. it's like, it's not that it doesn't worry you. In fact, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders if you're the primary breadwinner, but it's right. like you have to set that to the side and say, look, I believe I can make this happen. I believe that the things that I'm doing and the attitude that I take toward every single day and also, you know, my ability. And, and then if there is a higher power, we believe in God around here. So mm. if God has a plan for this to work out, then as long as I give it my best shot every day, and I'm not stupid about the decisions that I make, as long as I make good decisions in a day and I'm honest with myself and I'm humble and I'm truthful with the people that I'm working with, then that's going to come back in a good way for me. And, you know, for me and, and my ability to help people reach their goals by transforming their lives through health and fitness, I had 100% faith that I had that skill. It was a question of whether or not I could bring in the clientele. Okay, so I want to ask you about the clientele and how that overlaps or doesn't with what you're doing with the Defining Dad Bod podcast and project because I think I can relate to this. I've got a couple different podcasts and I'm kind of serving different markets for my main business is in one place, but I'm spending time in another. So I know you talked about that revelation about, you know, stopping for Pop-Tarts and helping dads really define what their body could mm. and should look like. Um, but it also sounds like a lot of your clients are not necessarily fathers. They're people that have dealt with illnesses or I've gotten really unhealthy and want to get back in and they might be grandmothers or, you know, women or men that are not even fathers. So uh, mm. how do you reconcile that? Are you, are you trying to move towards more towards working exclusively with fathers or is the UC defining dad bod is more of a project that sort of supports the overall business? That's a really good question. You know, 
it would help to break down what the business actually looks like. And I know you you speak a lot about business on your podcast, so this mm-hmm. isn't completely irrelevant. But for my part, I have three real projects within the Defining Dadbot umbrella. The first real project is, is not something that I have a lot of publicity around, which is consulting for corporations. And so I do like education content and material for them. I do a lot of uh, lifestyle and exercise programming for their uh, coaching constituents and whatnot. I'll, I'll train their instructors. So that that's a, a small part of what I do with Defining Dadbot. The second portion of Defining Dadbot is the virtual coaching. So I, I take on one-on-one clients and I, I work to help them reach the goals that they'd like to reach with regard to their health and fitness. And you're right, that can be male, that can be female, that can be old, young. I will say that the vast majority of the people that I work with through my business are parents, you know, fathers or, or mothers, usually in the, the middle age category, not to say that I don't have older clients and not to say that I don't have younger clients, but that tends to be the kind of person that my message resonates with, which is, hey, this is not a six-week program to six-pack abs. We're looking to build something that you can sustain until next year and even beyond that. And hey, you have kids, which is you know, <laughs> I love it when I hear trainers talk to people and they're like, oh, you have trouble with breakfast? Well, you just need to take like four hours to meal plan on like Sunday and stuff. Right. And you're like, did you, did you miss the part where the kids are still right. there on the weekends? Right, right. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's, that's a big obstacle, you know? So that's the primary component of the coaching aspect of my business. And then last but not least, which would be the defining dad bod movement is what I call it or the podcast. And so as a personal trainer, there are times when you work with somebody or you talk to somebody and they need some help with their goals and they are not in a position to commit their life to an entire training program. They might not be in a position financially. They might not be in a position psychologically. They might not be in a position time-wise to make that work. And so as a trainer, I spent a lot of my career trying to find ways to help people for free. (laughs) <laughs> how do I, how do I yep. connect you with something that's going to, you know, maybe you can't work with me one-on-one right now, but I know that you're ready to make some changes and you just need a, a clarion voice, let's say, in the fitness industry to tell you where to start and to give you some motivation and get you excited and, you know, modify your deadlift a little bit so you don't hurt your back or, or teach you the small steps you can make from a nutritional standpoint. That's not like log everything in my fitness pal and measure yeah. your cereal with a tablespoon. Right. <laughs> okay. right. So. That's the Defining Dad Bod podcast. And the way that I fund that is I go through uh, Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows you to connect with people who are willing to support what you're doing. And so I put out a new podcast every week. I have, you know, sample workout programs and meal plans and stuff that's all funded through the people who, you know, have been in my network and say, yeah, Alex, I support what you're doing with people and I support you putting out that content for free. And so it all works together synergistically and and that's how everything's divided out. Well, I I love the way you're doing it. I think the best, you know, entrepreneurs and freelancers, whatever out there that are doing this type of stuff are giving away a lot of content to build, you know, the brand and help people that can't really afford it yet. And then also building a business based on that. It takes longer, but I think it's going to serve you well in the end. And I can relate to, to, you know, I, I think it's important to pick a niche that you're focused on, but it doesn't mean that you can't serve people outside of that. And when I first got into coaching myself, and I don't do a whole lot of it these days, but I went and got certified and said, I'm going to work with dads, you know, entrepreneur dads, because that's what I can relate to. And Mm. then my first like really big client was a woman who wasn't even a mom. And I'm like, okay, this is way (laughs) outside of, but she was an entrepreneur and she, and we hit it off and she wanted my help. 
And so I was like, I'm going to turn her away. But when you focus your marketing and your efforts in one place, it doesn't mean you, you're not going to accept other people. So let's get into some health and fitness stuff here. And I want to go back to what you said about the biology of becoming a dad, because mm-hmm. I think that we've heard plenty about, and I don't know all the science. I know there's a lot of information out there, but what happens to women when they get pregnant and have a baby, there's a lot of things, changes that happen to their body. And of course, you've heard about you know pregnancy urges and women eating crazy things. And then, you know, the difficulty to go back and get in shape after that. You don't hear a lot about that for dads because ostensibly you're you're still the same person, right? Your wife had a baby. Like, yes, you often like will share some of the same cravings or something, but what happens there? What have you noticed and how have you helped new dads combat that? That's a good question. And I want to go back to one of the things you said is it's very apparent that there are many changes, cascade, ridiculous amount of changes that happen in a woman's body to have a baby. It's a like you can see the difference, literally see it, right? And actually in the moment of birth, females get a huge rush of oxytocin, which binds them to their child in that moment. So it's like before they were a young woman who had no kids and after birth, they are mom, like it's just deeply ingrained in the brain of a woman. You are a mom right now. Right. And dads, we're kind of, we're on the outside, you know, it's, it, we're kind of chopped liver, right? I don't know what your experience was, but when I had a son and I held him, you know, it was huge and monumental and, and felt good and stuff. And wow, this is my boy, right? Yeah. But you know, a week later after being sleep deprived and the kid's crying all the time and mom doesn't want anything to do with me because, you know, she's tired and recovering and stuff. You're kind of like, I don't know if I really like this baby thing. Get out of here. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I, I, I kind of like the pregnancy part. Right. So that being said, we don't often give men the credit they deserve to understand the process that the male mind goes through to become a father. And that process is mitigated by hormones. So what really changed this for me and, and really messed with my head when I first started investigating, man, what's going on with me? And I, I remember I Googled, like what happens to dad's brain? <laughs> like that's what happens to dad's brain. And, and after you Google for a while and stuff, you know, computer algorithms are really nice. You start coming across things that are relevant, but you didn't really search for them. So there's this huge study that came out of the Philippines where they followed over 10,000 fathers for four years. And they tested several different hormonal markers in these fathers upon like prior to having kids after having kids, and they compared them to a control group of peers their age. And one of the huge things that they found was immediately after a newborn enters a dad's life, immediately his testosterone goes from normal to one third of normal within two weeks, just plummets, hardcore plummets. And there are a number of reasons that might be there. One of the researchers actually postulated that there's some sort of pheromone that the female's body puts off that actually tells the dad's body to chill out on the testosterone. And then what's crazy about this is dad's testosterone does not come back to normal until his youngest child is about four years old. So it's going to stay depressed compared to his peers who don't have children, it's going to stay depressed in comparison to them until his youngest is four years old. And that's when it comes back. And you might ask like, what? 
what the heck? And this, this has a cascade of results, by the way. But testosterone is hugely important to dad, okay? Because that's his serotonin, which is the antidepressant neurotransmitter in the mind. That's linked to testosterone. So generally that falls or the reception of that falls. So depression usually follows. Also, the, the feeling of being you, like normal, strong, masculine, confident, aggressive, energetic, whatever it is you used to feel as a young man, you might as well kiss that goodbye too um, within, within a couple of weeks of a newborn entering your life. And some of the researchers said the sleep deprivation would be enough to do this, except that it's so robust, meaning that, you know, hey, my kid's sleeping normal by age one. Why doesn't my testosterone come back to normal by then? And it seems to be, and, you know, I'm not the biologist here, but it seems to be that to become a father literally means that whatever your mindset was as a young man, like your, your sexual drive, your energy, your, your aggressiveness, whatever it meant to be a young man, once you become a father, all of that needs to chill out while you have little kids. All of that needs to chill out. I don't know. I can see why male lions eat their young. You know, you've been there. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but biology chills that out. And one of the side effects of that is the cravings for sugar and the need for caffeine and the cravings for alcohol and the inability to process carbohydrates very well. So this hormonal change, testosterone, cortisol from the sleep deprivation, and then the serotonin, all of it together brings this like hormonal package that sets dad up to gain fat, lose muscle, and to feel too little energy to do much about it. And that is the biological basis for dad bod. And it happens to every dad who has young kids. Wow. I did not know that. That is uh, <laughs> fascinating. And I want to go back to you know what you said about after a, a couple of days, the, the halo effect wears off. And so true. I think most of my audience are probably parents. Maybe they can relate to this. So many people talk about how wonderful it is to have a new baby. You know, I'll be honest, my wife and I both discussed multiple times with both of our kids, like, can we just leave this baby at a firehouse? And like, what will happen? Can we just go back to our normal life? Because we're, we don't want this thing anymore. Um, eventually, you know, we came around and we love both of our kids. We're glad we kept them. But sure, there sure. are those moments in the beginning. <laughs> Moms listening to this are like, how can you say that? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know you thought it too. Get out of here. <laughs> Anybody so, who's really a parent has been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a question about that because I don't, and I know everybody's different. I personally didn't necessarily go through this. I know a lot of, certainly a lot of women really go through this and postpartum depression and all the things that come from it. And it sounds like a lot of men do as well. Can that almost be offset? You were talking earlier about working with parents primarily. And what I was thinking during that time is A, it's always great to work with someone who's like familiar with your type of situation, right? From a, a training perspective, but also when you're working with parents, they have a higher purpose, if you will, because they want to be around longer for their kids. And I feel personally feel like I am more driven because I have kids, because I have more of a purpose, because I'm building something for them. Hmm. And I wonder if, you know, connecting to that can offset a little bit of this from a mindset perspective, the loss of testosterone and other things that might cause men to be less driven, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, it's really interesting you say that there are two times in a man's life where his income makes a significant jump. Hmm. It's when he gets married. So the year following his marriage, most men have a significant jump in their income. So if you're 
out there not making a lot of money and you need to, I'm just kidding. Don't get married. Don't, don't get hitched for that. All right. Second is after the first year of his first child's birth. So it seems as a man that one, knowing that, that you're in a relationship that's going to last a long time. And then two, knowing that there's another mouth to feed, like this is my kid and I've got to put a roof over their head and I've got to feed them food. And no matter what you think about gender stereotypes, moms don't always think that way in the long term. Dad's like, I'm going to pour into this business and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to pay for their college and I'm going to like help them right. build a car or whatever it is. We think that way. Right. And it, and it really drives you. One of the other things about that though, is that the research showed that the men who spent the most time away from their younger kids, let's say you travel for work, their testosterone actually showed less of a depression than the men who are in the home more often. So like if you were a stay at home dad, your testosterone drops significantly lower than a dad who's on the road, maybe four or five days a week, right? So there's some variation within how often you're with the little kids that seems to have an effect on your testosterone as well. So all that to say, yes, there's a deep effect on a man when all of a sudden you're responsible for a small mouth. And then I, I will say with the experience of working with parents, it's crazy. You know, you talk to somebody and you're like, what are your motivating factors for getting fit? I like to have people define their heaven and hell. What's your mm -hmm. heaven and what's your hell? Yeah. And if I ask a non-parent that heaven and hell is like what they look like in the mirror or what they're able to do, blah, 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 performance-wise, or dreams yep. that they have and travel they want to do. Mm -hmm. If you ask a parent about their heaven and hell, it's like keeping up with my kids mm -hmm. is it's like heaven, being able to do this without pain in my back, uh, having them look up to me as, as a man worth being like, you know, and, yeah. and hell is like being slow and not being able to keep up and huffing and puffing on the soccer field or taking pills that I never want my kids to take. It's a deeply motivating factor when you look beyond yourself and say, Hey, my fitness has to stand for something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. So let's talk about getting healthier. You know, you, you talk about what happens to a new dad's body and uh, one way to combat the loss of testosterone is just to hit the road and get out of the house, uh, which, you know, funny <laughs> enough, I, I mean, I do. I do travel quite a bit, so maybe my testosterone is higher because of that. But what else should men be doing to stay healthy and not so depressed? And also, you know, women as well, because I have listeners on both sides, and I want to make sure we're, we're giving some good advice to people who are... Well, let's talk first about the other side of having a baby, and then I want to mm -hmm. get into general, like, it's a new year, and I want to get healthier this year. What are some things I should be thinking about? Great question, Andy. And for that reason, the male-female differences, I sought in my practice and in my business to come up with a way to coach both sets of people, regardless of gender. And so what I do with Defining DadBot is I base the nutrition and lifestyle recommendations on what we call the hormone pyramid, meaning that there are hormones that you should address and get working for you rather than against you, and that each of those hormones build on each other. So for the first level is insulin. We want to get insulin working for you rather than against you. The next level is cortisol. Similarly, we want to get cortisol working for you rather than against you. The next level in both men and women is androgens. That's testosterone and estrogen. And then last but not least is thyroid hormones. And the concept behind these, and this isn't like hormone replacement therapy or anything, it's that there are lifestyle and nutrition things that we do to ourselves on a daily basis that can affect these hormone systems for the better or for the worse. 
And if you want to get your testosterone in a good place as a guy, or for ladies, you're trying to get off the baby weight, you want to get your estrogen and progesterone pretty balanced, then you have to address insulin. You have to address cortisol before you can mess with the testosterone, estrogen, and and thyroid hormones. And so uh, very simply, very simply, Andy, walking through that, and that's a lot of information for somebody to take in. So I don't want to, you know, throw down all of that all at once, but very simply, let's start with insulin. And just say from a general perspective, if you're a man or a woman and you're trying to get over this baby weight that you've gained or the dad bod that maybe you've put on since your your youngest has turned four, then from an insulin perspective, on the nutrition side of things, two things that'll make a huge difference. One, sugar. You don't need to be eating any more than 40 grams of sugar per day. That's per the American Heart Association for decondition men and women. 40 grams or more of sugar a day is going to mess with your insulin system. And then similarly, we're talking about fiber. Fiber, you need to make sure that you're getting 25 grams or more as a a female, and you need 35 grams or more as a male. And both of those two things together are going to regulate your insulin system well. If insulin's high, if insulin in your body's high because you're riding the blood sugar roller coaster, that tells your body to stop burning fat as a fuel source and accumulate it instead. So as long as insulin's high, it doesn't matter if you're eating very few calories, it doesn't matter if you're exercising, if insulin's high, it's going to be very difficult to lose fat and it's going to be very difficult to get that insulin working for you rather than against you. And then on the lifestyle side of things, two very simple things that I have people start with, get 100 ounces or more of water in a day, and coffee doesn't count, juice doesn't count, <laughs> you, you got your water bottle. <laughs> got my water here, I had some coffee this morning, but that does not count. Huh? I it guess does beer, not count. beer doesn't count either. No, beer does not count. (laughs) We'll address beer later. Uh, But you've got your 100 ounces of water or more a day. That actually is a crucial part of burning fat as a fuel source. If you look at the chemistry of how you break down a triglyceride, triglycerides, the form of fat that flows around in your bloodstream and is used for energy. If you don't have H2O, it's almost impossible to change fat into energy. So that's a huge piece. A lot of people don't know that. If you're dehydrated, you're going to have a really hard time burning fat as a fuel source. And then last but not least on the lifestyle side, and we've all heard it, but not all of us are religious about it, 10,000 steps or more per day will make you more insulin sensitive and help you to not accumulate those carbohydrates in the form of fat over time. And so activity is a huge part of getting the insulin system to work for you rather than against you. So those four changes is what we ask people to make in that first phase of training. Oh man, there's a lot there and so yeah. important. And it, it's funny going back to my interview on your show and, uh, and you were so good at just kind of biting your lip and letting me go that I've been doing a lot of these things just subconsciously, but not really knowing a lot of the, you know, the research necessarily behind it. Though I do remember the, I made a big switch in diet probably about seven, six, seven years ago when I read a book and learned about the whole insulin thing. I read a book called mm-hmm. Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah. He also wrote uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories. He's a yep. fantastic writer. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that one was huge for me. I changed my whole you know diet and lifestyle. I went to a more paleo diet, if you will, for many years. And But learning about that and how the insulin drives you know the fat accumulation... Also, I'm also thinking it's kind of funny that you were saying earlier, um, men who travel more might have higher testosterone. So that's one you know, funny way to combat it. But also what you and I talked about on your show is that 
you know, people who travel tend to consume a lot more junk and sugar because it's conveniently available. So maybe don't do the travel. Maybe focus on the uh, the healthy eating instead. Um, <laughs> Let's get back to the, I think the insulin and the fiber are so important. And I have been trying to avoid the sugars for a long time. I'd love mm. to hear some of your advice there. And then I have never paid attention to fiber whatsoever. So I definitely want to hear a little bit more about that as well. Well, what's really nifty about these two lifestyle changes and, and something that we deal with a lot in the training industry is that the perfect program doesn't matter if people can't do it or won't do it, Right. right? So you can say, Hey, you need to keep your calories below this number. You need your macros to fit these numbers. And you know, I'm a parent. When do I have time to measure how much flaxseed I put in my dang shake, you know, like, and, and maybe I could, but if I'm starting at ground zero and you know, I'm trying to fight the dad bot or I'm trying to lose the baby weight after the baby, I need something simple to latch onto that's going to show me results and help me feel better, not only in the short term, but hey, maybe I can do this for the long term too. And counting calories and macronutrients and stuff is not always something that people can do for a very long time, especially not parents. You know, we've got a lot on our shoulders. So with that being said, the sugar and the fiber, sure, there's a lot of other things we could do with regard to insulin to make things work well for us. But these are simple, powerful things that you can do on a daily basis that really help you. So it's easier to count sugar than calories. You know, we're talking 2000 versus like 40. (laughs) And one number here, it's relatively easy to flip something over and look at it or Google it, how much sugar is in an apple, right? So when we talk about sugar, the primary thing with regard to sugar is a lot of people don't know how much sugar is in everything that they're eating. It's a, uh, I, I like to joke and I don't mean to be political here, but I like to joke, sugar's the only thing that you can add to a product to make it cheaper. Think about like water at the gas station costs like a buck 50 for a a bottle of water, but you buy a Coke for 99 cents. Like this is water with sugar in it. How is it cheaper? Like, (laughs) so sugar is in everything. It subsidizes it relative, it lowers the cost of things. It makes it increases the shelf life, increases palatability, the fact that you'll come back to it on a regular basis. And then things taste better and it makes it more addicting as well. That's right. And if I'm a food company, this is a business show, right? Or or at least you do business shows pretty often. If I'm a company, how do I make a profit? I make you come back and and eat more of my product. (laughs) So a food company will add sugar to their product to help it taste better, to increase the shelf life, uh, to lower the cost of the total package of the product itself. And the added sugar in everything sneaks up on people. So when I have people start counting sugar, you know, their first day or two, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were 18 grams of sugar in my Greek yogurt, which is Mm -hmm. like my my health food, right? (laughs) And I didn't know that there were 12 grams of sugar in ketchup. And I didn't know that a Coke had all of the sugar that I should have in a whole day Mm. in half a bottle. (laughs) I didn't know that, you know? So it's the awareness around how much sugar is entering into your body in a day. And And sugar is in everything, all processed foods that you buy, even stuff you don't think has sugar in it, has sugar in it. When you start to look around, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. In everything. Exactly. So I'll tell people, you know what? My recommendation is 40 grams or less a day, but go ahead and just count. At the end of the day, send me a text. Tell me how many grams of sugar you ate. I don't even care your calories. I don't care what you ate. I just want you to to be aware of that. And, And what people do at the end of the week when they realize how much sugar is entering their system, how much sugar is entering their kid's system, they start going, okay, well, what's an alternative for this thing? Because we really like this thing, but we don't need all the sugar. Or instead of 
snack pack puddings at, <laughs> at lunchtime, you know, we're going to eat some strawberries. You're like, well, fruit has sugar, doesn't it? Yeah, but strawberries has way less than pudding. And there's a bunch of fiber and phytonutrients with that, which are way more nutritious altogether. So the sugar piece addresses a lot of issues with regard to food. If people just focus on that one number, it makes a very simple difference. And I found for people that in the first two weeks of eating less than 40 grams of sugar, the average person will lose between three and eight pounds from water and fat, just decreasing the amount of insulin they have in their system. Nice. Can we talk about fat versus sugar real quick? Because yeah. this is, I've been on a, like a, lo- a long-term rant about this since I read that Gary Taub's book and arguing with people and trying to educate people. And I don't, and of course, I don't know anything compared to you so to have you on. Um, but for, at, at some point, and I don't remember the story or the history of the research, but at some point in this, in the US, in the, in the 50s, you know, the, the government decided to tell people that fat is bad and we need to try to cut that out of the diet. And since then, people have been trying to cut fat from their diet, dietary fat, and they've been getting fatter. And mm. what I've noticed is, of course, that there are three things that make food taste good, right? Fat, sugar, and salt, or salt, sugar, and fat. There's even a book about this that I read. And so when you reduce fat, you've got to add one of those things to get people to eat it. So you mentioned Greek yogurt. I think yogurt is like the most emblematic of these things because people go and buy fat-free yogurt to try to be healthier, but then it has more sugar and it's, it's actually worse. I mean, is that, do you agree with that? And do you tell people not to worry about dietary fat or do you tell people to watch that as well? Really good question. So when I tell you about the challenges of, of being a trainer and there's a giant list of things that we could do to be really ninja about our health and fitness and perform better and have better body composition and you know have better libidos and sleep better. There's a giant list of things you could do. But if you hand that to somebody and say, here, do all of these things, they might get like one of them done. And even then, if they pick the wrong one that doesn't show results for them in the first two weeks, then they're kind of over it. They fall off the gravy train, so to speak. So that being said, fats, as we address them in in the Defining Dad Bod program, the source of fat and the kind of fat and the way it matters for individual people, we address those quite a bit later in the, uh, the program. Generally, what happens is when you cut down on sugar, your healthy fats and fiber both go up naturally. You got to eat something. And if you scrap the Yoplait, right. you know, fat-free yogurt that has 30 grams of sugar, and if you scrap that for some full fat Greek yogurt that isn't flavored and throw your own berries in it, you're going to get some healthier fats with uh, by exchanging that from the, the sugar perspective. But to the deeper question, are fats bad for you? Should you be eating sugary stuff instead? <laughs> I have a couple things I love to say about that. And since you're giving me a platform, then ah, I'm going to go at it. Go for it. Every, every single cell in your body, we hear protein, you got to get protein to, to build your muscles, right? Every single cell in your body is wrapped in a lipid bilayer, which is fat, literally fat, phospholipid bilayer. Cellular biology says every single cell in your body is wrapped in in some fat, okay? I'm not going to say it's bacon necessarily, but it's wrapped in the constituents that make up bacon or the saturated fat in milk or the fat you find in nuts and seeds and, and whatnot. So every single cell in your body is wrapped in fat, yet we don't hear people say very often, hey, if you want to build muscle, you need to eat some good fats because you can't build muscle cells without good fats, right? And then similarly, cholesterol, cholesterol is, is a molecule. You can Google it and look at the chemical structure. That is the building block for testosterone and estrogen. 
and cortisol and aldosterone and progesterone and all of the other hormones that make up your body are built from a molecule of cholesterol. And your body synthesizes cholesterol from fats. If you don't have good healthy fats in your diet, you are shooting your hormone system in the foot because you cannot create those fats from anything else. Like you have to have healthy fats in your diet in order to synthesize the hormones that you need on the front end. Now the cautionary tale here, because some people have taken this way too far uh, and they're like, this I'm going to eat, probably. I'm going to, I'm going to eat butter and bacon and cheese. And I lost like 30 pounds in the keto yeah. diet. And I'm, I'm not shooting the keto diet in the foot. I actually had Dr. Adrian Chavez on, on my uh, podcast love not too guy. long ago to talk about, yeah, I love him too, to talk about what it means to go keto and what might work well for you. But the cautionary tale with regard to fat is that there are a few genetic mutations that we know of right now, and there's probably some more that we'll find out about in the future, that make some people really bad at clearing fat from their bloodstream. And if you're one of those people, and you have gone from the pendulum of, okay, well, no sugar, and I'm going to eat all this fat, like butter and bacon don't have sugar in it, so I'm going to add a lot of that to my diet. If you have the genetic mutation that makes it really difficult for your body to clear fat from the bloodstream, then that could be medically problematic for you. That could put you at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease. And so when we talk about the dichotomy between eating too much sugar, or eating too much fat, and whether that's bad or good, the first thing is sugar, too much of it is always bad unless you're a conditioned athlete with great insulin sensitivity. Fats, on the other hand, there's a widely different response to having a higher fat diet in the population with regard to cholesterol. And so it's important that your fats take on a flavor of one, you might need some nutritional guidance to make sure that you're not getting too much of one sort of fat. And then two, the genetic testing's out there to find out if you're one of those people who will have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease with a higher saturated fat diet. We have that technology now. doesn't cost very much money, honestly, with, you know, considering the whole medical world. You might just go get that tested if you're curious. Man, this is so good. And I'm glad you, you mentioned cholesterol as well because that's another one of those, like, misnomers that somebody, you know, misreported a long time ago. And I still see people ordering you know, egg whites. And I just want to slap them. Like you get the yolk, the yolk is there for a reason. Like, you know, again, this is why I go to like, I'm not a religious person per se, but you know, God did not create chickens and eggs so that you could take the yolk out of the egg before you eat it. Like what the heck that's, you know, it's good fats, good cholesterol. So I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that stuff. And I hope that we are uh, not in that minority there on the problem with fats, because I, I literally cook my kids bacon and eggs in butter every morning. So and everybody seems to be pretty healthy so far. Right. Well, and what's powerful and misunderstood in the nutrition discussions that we have today is it's easy to say something waffly like there's a certain diet for everybody. But from a genetic perspective, there really is a certain amount of the population who does really well with heavy fat and mostly animal products. I mean, there's uh, the Inuit in Alaska at one point in time, lived very healthy, long lives on almost just walrus meat and fat and the few of the veggies that they could scrounge up from the tundra during the summer. You know, like who does that? That would be the equivalent of you and I living off of butter, steak, and a few potatoes during the summer. You know, I that's that. I could do that. Right. <laughs> and if you're from that genetic heritage, it's very possible you do very, very well 
with a high protein, high fat, heavy animal product diet. And then there are studies that show there are some people who do really, really well with veganism, who do really, really well with just non-animal plant protein, plant fiber, plant carbohydrate, plant fats, generally higher carbohydrate diets, and, and they do amazingly well. And it's relatively easy to see where that might have branched off in the genetic line as well. If you or your listeners are interested in the genetic heritage of Homo sapiens' ability to live off of just about everything but cardboard, then there's a book called Sapiens uh, by Yuval Noah Harari. And it's actually a really, really huge, long book about all kinds of stuff. But in the very beginning, he talks about the evolutionary biology of mankind from hunter-gatherers to agriculturalists to where we are today and what that means from a dietary and food perspective. And it's super interesting and it shoots a lot of the, the dietary religiosity of the Facebook world in the foot because everybody has an opinion. You don't like keto, you're stupid. Oh, you're eating too much bacon. Like what's wrong with you? And at the core of it, every single person has their idiosyncrasies. And then what's even more difficult about that is when you add in the economics of food and the obstacles that every person's individual relationship with their world, like you're traveling, you know, your ideal meal choices in your traveling world are probably even different than when you're at home, right? right. And so when you add in all that variability, it's impossible to have a silver bullet, beautiful diet plan that everybody should follow. And anybody who tells you any differently is selling something. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what we're talking about is, you know, pay attention to sugar, pay attention to fiber, know yourself and your genetics, pay attention to how things are interacting with you, maybe get tested and, you know, see how things work. So we're almost out of time here. I want to ask you two more questions to make sure we address these. Number one is the fiber thing, because we didn't really get to that. And, and that's mm -hmm. something that I really know nothing about. Um, so why is it important for people to make sure they're getting enough fiber? What are the sources of that? And then the last thing would be, getting back to the exercise or activity and why that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So fiber lowers the glycemic index of the food that you eat on one hand. And simultaneously, it helps with what we call digestive motility, which is the ability for food to move through the digestive system. And then lastly, it feeds the good bacteria in your gut. So you've heard of probiotics, which is literally like putting... Yeah bacterial colonies into your digestive system. And that's supposed to be good for us. And there are some really good studies on good probiotics being helpful for people. But prebiotics are the food for that bacteria. And so I like to tell people, you know, there's the old Native American adage where the father says to the son, hey, there, there are these two wolves inside of you. There's the evil one that wants bad things and, and eats babies or whatever. And then there's the good wolf who stands for virtue and love and grace and peace and, and it's good. And, and there's a battle going on between the two of them. And, and the boy says to dad, well, who's going to win? And he says, whichever one you feed, son. And that's the same thing for the bacterial colonies in your digestive tract. There are bacterial colonies in your digestive tract that make you sick, fat, and depressed. And there are bacterial colonies in your gut that make you more energetic. They help convert more thyroid hormone. They increase serotonin so you're less depressed. They break down food better. They protect your large intestine and, and small intestine from, from damage. And the question is, which one are you going to have? Well, which one ever you feed more? <laughs> so fiber is a big part of getting the digestive system to work well stabilizing blood sugar by changing the glycemic index of the food that we eat. And then feeding the good bacteria, feeding the good wolf, right? So for instance, eating an avocado, 
great source of healthy fats, great source of good fiber. Adding a scoop of ground flaxseed to your protein shake is a great way to increase the fiber of your uh, protein shake. Getting some fat from your nuts and seeds is a great way to get more fiber in your diet. And then, hey, veggies, non-starchy vegetables like your spinach and your broccoli and your, I could almost say sweet potato, but that's technically a, a starchy veggie, though it has an amazing amount of phytonutrients in it. Those are all great ways to add fiber to your dietary world, and they'll have great effects on both your sugar and therefore your insulin, and also your biology and your gut. Awesome. Yeah, I had not really paid that much attention to fiber or thought about what it does to gut health. I'm aware of you know a little bit about the gut health stuff, especially talking to Dr. Adrian Chavez. I know it's a big thing for him. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I just try to eat a lot of vegetables, and it sounds like that's uh, that's always helpful. And I think that's you know it's like Take easy. It's like, keep it simple when you're giving people advice on diet, you know, reduce sugar and eat some, you know, vegetables, you know, eat yeah. naturally. A lot of times if I say, Hey, this is your fiber goal for the day. People will go find things that have fiber in them. And lo and behold, they'll increase their veggie intake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so last question about the importance of fitness or activity. You mentioned 10,000 steps. A lot of people are very you know, busy. And I put that in quotations because I personally think people can make time to do whatever the hell they want, but they'll say, you know, I don't have that much time to work out for those busy professionals and new parents, whatever it is, a lot going on. What do you recommend at least get them the, the minimum that they need from an activity level? Great question. I always ask parents, do you watch TV or do you scroll through YouTube or social media on your phone? If the answer is yes, then you have time to go for a walk. That's the end of the conversation. Now, to be a little more ninja about it during the day, uh, if you drink enough water, this is kind of fun. If you drink enough water, you have to take more potty breaks and potty breaks require you to get up and walk to the bathroom. There's no technology for that yet. Like that keeps you seated in your position. They haven't catheterized us all yet (laughs) in front of a computer. But that being said, getting enough activity in a day makes you more insulin sensitive, which all around will lower the amount of insulin in your bloodstream. And so it's not just about moving and exercising to burn calories. It's about lowering that insulin amount so that it can uh, regulate body composition better. And really interesting studies showed that if you took people who exercised regularly, but weren't active, meaning they don't get 10,000 steps in a day, they have a dentist job, but they go to the gym. And then you take people who don't go to the gym but they're moving regularly. They're getting more than 10,000 steps in a day. What studies show is that all cause mortality, like whether or not you're going to die, goes down for the people who are active, but not for the people who are exercising and aren't active. And so I like to tell people, look, nobody looks good in a pine box, at least for your health, at least for dementia and Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes and all the above at least make it a point to go for a walk with your kids after dinner, to start your day with a trip around the block or a brief jog, or to spend an extra five or 10 minutes when you have to go to the bathroom in the day, just getting a good walk around or taking some stairs or something. And in that way, moving is a huge part of getting your insulin regulated, but also helping you to be in better health so you can be around for the people that you love longer. Man, that's interesting about that study. And I've always paid attention to that, trying to be active, walking places over driving, taking the stairs. Just this morning, Mm -hmm. I took the stairs. And I used to count those steps too. I wore a Fitbit, but I have to say, I love Fitbit. But man, that thing was always breaking. I could not keep it it working. (laughs) Maybe I need to get back into that. But yeah, so making sure that you're getting enough activity, walking when you can, taking those walking breaks, taking those breaks every now and then to, to do a lap around the block or 
even around the office or something like that to get the blood circulating and just stay more active, even being more important than getting the official quote exercise at the gym. Well, yeah. And you, you see it, right. You're like driving and you see a family, you know, dad and mom with their kids on the bikes or whatever. And you're like, man, I wish I had more time to spend with my family like that. Well, go do it. Be yeah. the guy who's like, Hey guys, we're not going to watch a movie tonight. Or, hey guys, like stop what you're doing. Come with me. We're going around the block, you know, be that guy. And you'll be so impressed if you take your kids anywhere for three minutes, you'll be so impressed how fast you get steps when you're trying to keep up with them. And it's good for them too. We, we've got a lot of kids who have too much screen time and they need to get moving as well. Oh man. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. That's a whole other topic. And I feel like I have more questions and way more things we can go into. So we may have to do this again in the near future, <laughs> but we've got to wrap things up now. Uh, Alex, for anybody listening that wants to connect with you, find out more about you, listen to your podcast, uh, where do they go? Great question. You can go to definingdadbod.com and you can find really everything there. I have actually put out the first four weeks of the hormone pyramid in email format for anybody who subscribes to the Defining Dadbod show. And you can find that link at definingdadbod.com slash DDB1. That's Defining Dadbod 1. And you could subscribe to that newsletter, get walked through the, the insulin system week by week and to, uh, to make those changes for yourself. Awesome. And the podcast, of course, is called Defining Dad Bod. Uh, you're active on Instagram and Facebook, I know, uh, because we're connected there. Uh, so if you are interested in any of these topics, want to learn more, get in better shape, follow Alex, because he, as you can tell, knows a hell of a lot more about this stuff than I do or most of us do. And he is on a mission to help us all get in better shape and uh, not just dads, but everybody. And uh, Alex, this has been helpful for me. I mean, you know, I know you and I talked about this on your podcast. I'm a guy that a lot of people look to as someone that's very healthy and in shape. And I know there's always more for me to learn and ways for me mm. to get better. And talking to you today has definitely helped me a lot in that area, given me plenty to, to think about. So thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, man. And from, from me to you, you exemplify the healthy dad thing. You're trying to juggle the business and the family and the self. And it's, it's inspiring to watch you do your thing, brother. So keep up the good work. I'm, I'm really glad to be in the trenches with you. Thank you, buddy. All right, man. Take care. You as well.